Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I'm going to do my best not to think about the fact that I could die when I stand up in a couple of days. You want to know what's crazy though? So like talking to a kid the other day and he was like, yeah, I, I watch YouTube on TV all the time because I can just put it on the TV and they just go on my phone so I can text my friends and use Snapchat. That's crazy, bro. Okay, and I yes. was like, that is, I, I can't do that. And here's us kind of having a We're circle like, check. This is hey, so great. cool. YouTube is great. But the kids are like, nah, this is boring. I'll put it on TV. Put, bro, just, I just need more stimulation. Just stimulate me more. You know, like I need some more Subway stuff. <laughs> all right. Okay. That's a laugh. But in that is a real kernel of truth. The future of YouTube is the television. I would uh, take any any creator's content. You know, Michelle Curry, I think, is in the audience. Like, her boxing documentary, put that up against any piece of content. Why shouldn't it win awards? Why shouldn't it win Emmys? Ready for a YouTube Emmy campaign. We've talked to people like Michelle on the show, showing how premium content is the next frontier for YouTube. But now we're seeing more and more evidence that television is the next big platform for our work. So... How can you edit your videos to catch that TV wave? We brought back Paddy Galloway to tell us. The thing that everyone knows about but no one's really thinking about, which is satisfaction on YouTube. Mm. YouTube don't give us a satisfaction score. What would you consider to be a good intro that means that I can trust this video? I've, I've got into this thing. I, I love starting scripts with the word either this or so. Thinking the first line like a title. Sometimes look at the Mr. Beast ones, right? And mm. you, just, you just see... The opening 30 seconds is like a short. YouTube's algorithm is way smarter than creators give it credit for, I think. I like to describe the algorithm as stubborn. It's like, you <laughs> gotta you got like tell it, put it over here, please. No, it's like a toddler sometimes. <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't wanna eat the broccoli. At some point you might have to be that bad parent to force the broccoli down the kid's throat. Oh, that sounds terrible. Dude, that's but- so <laughs> Let's go. What's been like one of your favorite observations that's changed in this past year? I think one thing that I'm putting way more emphasis on with the channels that I work with is TV viewership. TV viewership is growing so fast. Like I've been looking at the graphs on the different channels I work with in terms of the explosion of that device type over the last, it feels like even the last year it's accelerated even further. But there's a point now where I, I look at some of the channels I work with, some of the, some of the larger channels, and there are occasionally videos that have 80% plus TV viewership. And I still feel like most YouTubers are in the, the state of mind that, oh, it's just on a phone, yeah. you know? And I, there's, like some, there's like some editing choices you have to make when you think about it being on TV. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like, I think, retention choices. And I, think, I actually think, you know, on average TV viewership, this is an actual stat that we've been studying in, in our company, on average TV viewership is about 10, 15% longer per video. So like wow. people watch for longer on TV. And I feel like we talked about this last year, like this idea of like, editing and security mm-hmm. i feel it's a good thing i feel like tv like there's a there's a bit more friction to change yeah whereas it's mobile it's like oh thing thing text from mom thing thing tv it's like sit down 
watch something. I we talk about this a lot where yep. it's I'll start watching a video on my phone and it feels great to watch and the editing is confident, the presentation is like as excellent. This feels premium. <laughs> Yeah. And then I go, my phone is not worthy of this. Mm. And so I then immediately then send it to my TV and I sit down on the sofa and I then sit back and relax. I put my phone over there and then I commit to the video so much more because of that. What is the signal that gives you that, you know, hey, I need to do this. I cannot watch this on my phone. What, like, what is it about the video that makes you do that? I feel the signals of effort. I feel the signals of care. I feel the signals of uh, like emotion. I feel the signals of like bottom line, this feels nice to watch. So is that just like higher production quality? Is it actually like, oh, this is maybe an emotional video. And so I'm, I need to like sit down. Like I can't be I think you casual answered, about it. I think you answered the question. Yeah. Like it feels higher production quality. Okay. I think it feels like there's a lot more emotion towards it. It's like this is intended to be viewed a lot with a lot more intention without going into that insecurity of like, I assume you're going to stop watching. Now it's. I would like it if you keep watching. How do you guys adjust for like that actual stat where you know TV is adjusted more? Like, how do you advise clients with that? I think a lot of it comes down to. I mean, the first thing for me, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves over the last years, is just if you're going to put text on screen, I have to be able to read it. Like, <laughs> and, and I feel with TV, this is even more so the fact because. What I see so often is clients just like, they're almost just trying to fill space with text and captions. Mm -hmm. And when you watch something on TV, there's a reason why the subtitles on movies and you know, for TV shows is so much smaller because you've got a big screen. You can see, you can see much more stuff. Recently I had a client that like put text the full length of the screen and you kind of have to read every word to get what was being said. And I was like, imagine watching this on a 60 inch TV. You're going to get, you're going to be in a neck brace. You're going to be turning <laughs> your neck looking at this thing. You get whiplash. So, yeah. so I, think, I think honestly, like timings is important, like for, for things like captions. Mm -hmm. um, I think generally being willing to slow down the pace a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also this is just a, a trend I'm seeing with a lot of clients. It's actually moving towards longer videos mm -hmm. because wow. when someone actually chooses, I hear this a lot, like, you know, YouTube, the YouTube algorithm prefers long videos on TV. No, the YouTube audience chooses longer videos. Why? Because I mean, we all know this when we sit down to watch something on TV, you don't want to watch a five minute video because then you have to change it and it's an effort. You want to put something on that you can sit down and get into. So I'd say the, the biggest things are, yeah, those little editing choices, but definitely like just even increasing video length and leaving a bit more of that story and depth in the video. Whereas three or four years ago, there was a lot more of that, as you call it, insecure editing. So it sounds like there's more democratization between like streaming services and YouTube. It's like they're blending a little bit. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. Well, yeah, like we we often say like, uh, we watched like a Michelle Carey video, yep. Johnny Harris video, Dodford. You could put that on HBO Max, Max. You could put that on Netflix <laughs> and it feels like it's, su it's suitable there. Yeah. And I think because of the fact that we've been trained of like when we watch Max on Netflix or anything or Hulu, it's like, of course, we, that's, a, that's a session that we have on television. Now that we're getting that quality content on YouTube now, it's like that's now become part of your choice of what to watch on your streaming session. Yeah. And I think the key thing is like something like Michelle Carey, for example, right? So she has that like almost like big feel, like cinematic, and it, it feels like it should be on a big screen, like you said. But there's still that YouTube, I'm relating to a person. I have a parasocial connection with a person. Mm -hmm. And that's always, that's, that's why I think YouTube is so special. Like, I think that's why, you know, instead of watching a documentary on Netflix, people choose one on YouTube because it feels like you've, you've, you're connected to the storyteller. And I think, you know, people like Michelle, like she does a really good job of that. Yeah, you do watch something on Netflix and it's like, it feels like, yeah, this has gone through uh, 200 people. Yeah. 
Whereas I think most stuff that we watch on YouTube, it's gone through two to three people, maybe even just one person. It's like it feels handmade. It's like this is a handcrafted, yeah. you know. Yeah, like yeah, like film. You want to know what's crazy though? So like we're, we're talking about how great this is with TV viewership. I was talking to a kid the other day. He's like 12, 13 year old kid, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I watch YouTube on TV all the time because I can just put it on the TV and they just go on my phone." Mm. It's like that's why I watch it. So whenever I see a cool video on my phone, I just put it on, on TV so I can be on my phone at the same time, so I can text my friends and use Snapchat. That's crazy, bro. Okay, and I yes. was like, that is, I, I can't do that. Like, yeah, that's wild. Well, actually, that's kind of like, kind of you kind of muting our entire conversation. Here's us kind of having a We're circle like, jack. This is hey, so great, cool. YouTube is great, but the kids are like, nah, this is boring. I'll put it on TV. Put bro, this, I just need more stimulation. Just stimulate me more. Yeah, you know, like, I need some more Subway Surfer. Fuck. Yeah. Hello. Cheeky interlude. So for those of you who don't know, I just came back from a trip from my motherland, England. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. But while I was traveling, I still had to work on the Spider-Verse episode that you've all come to know and love. And I was able to make working on the go safe, simple, and seamless. Surfshark VPN is the VPN service to protect all of my online file transfers and the sponsor of today's episode. I'll be admit, there's been many times I've had to upload a video file at a Starbucks or a sketchy airport using random Wi-Fi to transfer important personal files. But Surfshark VPN, there is never a concern with the security of my files with their state-of-the-art encryption technology. And while I'm on that shady Wi-Fi, Surfshark's clean web tech allows me access to any website without dealing with pop-ups or malware. For a short time, get this exclusive Surfshark Black Friday deal. Enter promo code EDITINGPOD to get up to six additional months for free at surfshark.deals slash EDITINGPOD. You said something interesting. You said, you know, YouTube might serve you something different based on the device you're on. Is that, is yeah. that actually a thing? It knows at when it's like at 11 p.m. I'm uh-huh. getting ready to go to sleep. It starts serving me two-hour videos yeah. knowing I'm going to fall asleep That's to them. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, or it, or it knows in the morning. It's like, hey, I just I just want to just watch a quick five minute video because it's noticed my viewing habits. Like, hey, let me watch a five minute video before I start work. You know, because I'm procrastinating my day. It's like it knows what videos to serve us depending because it's been watching our viewing habits. My my answer to anything like that is always, YouTube's algorithm is way smarter than creators give it credit for. I think like even just like that example, like personalization based on your viewing behavior your watch history, what other people like you are watching. Like sometimes creators come up to me and they say, oh, like, do you think the YouTube algorithm understands this or that? And it's like really simplistic things. And I'm like, this thing is like way more powerful than we even realize. It's the best recommendation system ever built. And I think sometimes we need to kind of sink that in and be like, yeah, if, 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 if there's a viewing behavior and audience input, YouTube know about it. One of my philosophies has always been to just make like the algorithm is really smart, but mm-hmm. also let's make its life easy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that comes at the cost of creative expression. 
mm-hmm. you know, because you know, one of the things I even talked about this in my presentation just there was this idea that like, let's make videos that 80% plus of our audience can be interested in and watch. And it sounds like a really simplistic thing, but so often you look at a creator's channel, I'm like, well, 30% might like that, 10% might like that, 20% like, might like that. Mm-hmm. When you zoom out the big picture, it's like, you don't really have a, binge- a bingeable catalog. You just have a collection of random ideas, which is mm-hmm. like the human mind that like we're mm-hmm. all different and we all have this kind of, there's very few people that will have the exact same taste and everything as you two do. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. difficult. Maybe that's like the next level up of the algorithm. Like you, you post the video and it's able to learn so fast. I think that's the yeah. thing, like the time horizon is the thing missing because I do believe if that, if, if some of those podcast episodes you're talking about mm. were truly exceptional in every category, like thumbnail, title, mm. delivery, intro, everything, over time, eventually the audience would be found. That's my personal belief that's based on biased data of mm. how it's worked for me typically. It's just the time horizon. It's just mm. not instant. It takes yeah. time. Like I've had videos that, you know, lie dormant mm-hmm. for, for months and then like, I don't know, month six, suddenly it gets like 500K views. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. obviously this was a good video then because it got <laughs> 500K views, but it just took time to get there. Yeah, I mean, I like to describe the algorithm as stubborn. Okay. Yeah, it's like, you, <laughs> got, you gotta like tell it, put it over here, please. No, yeah. put it over here, no. Put it over. No, I don't want to. It's like a toddler sometimes. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to eat the broccoli. But then, what, but then, some, then at some point, you might have to be that bad parent to force the broccoli down the kid's throat. Oh, that sounds terrible. Dude, that's but, so <laughs> weird. But, I mean, I'm just really curious about editing trends from the last year. I know you talked about the device type and you know maybe slowing things down. We talked a lot about um, how to get high retention without being desperate last mm-hmm. time we talked. And so is there anything else that you've noticed in the editing world that in, in clients that you've worked with? I'd say it sounds like such a funny thing to say that it's become more important because it should have always been important, but mm-hmm. definitely music choices. Mm-hmm. Seen that a lot. I've, I just met a guy outside who said he's starting to do custom scores. Like he's starting to do custom music for like yeah. Mark Rober and some mm-hmm. of these really big creators. I feel like there's a lack of information around where to find really good music. And I think yeah. sometimes getting custom stuff is, is maybe the next move. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say that's something. And then I'd still, th- I'd still think that people underestimate the importance of just your actual scripting in the first 30 seconds as well and how you're using that to guide the edit. Mm-hmm. Like I so often like unpack what I do with clients and it's not, not necessarily like building an incredible transition or anything. It's usually just like, well, what are we saying and how do we make sure the edit gets that across mm. immediately? Mm-hmm. And almost, sounds crazy to almost bring it back to the thumbnails again, <laughs> but like this idea that your your intro is like a thumbnail. Yeah. Like with previews, like that's becoming something that's being more and more and more used on YouTube. I'm seeing mm-hmm. viewing behavior. Sometimes I love like, we have this like sort of like train in Ireland called the Lewis. It's like a kind of tram. Mm-hmm. When you're on that, like you're all stuffed in like sardines. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I just see people on their phone and I, I just kind of watch their viewing habits on YouTube. Mm. Something I've noticed really recently is just how many people just like actually just like go to a video and then let it preview and then just like look at it for a while before choosing it. Mm. And that was not something people did a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't even a thing a few years ago. Mm. And that's like the edit's crucial in that. Like, what are you putting first? What's mm. the like visually interesting thing? What are you getting across the viewer really quickly in that opening? opening just, 30 yeah. seconds what is the clear information that you can give that is essentially the ask here's why you should watch my video yeah and i think it's i think we're beginning to learn that we're following the same thing that hollywood's been doing for years where it's the movie title that's our title the movie poster that's our thumbnail but then what do we then get next in marketing the trailers yeah we're following the exact same format and so our intros is essentially the pitch as to why you should then commit to watching this film in our in our case content and so i think it's like we're just again it's just the more things change the more the same the same we're just getting that same parallel again you sometimes look at the mr beast ones right and mm-hmm. you just you just see the opening 30 seconds is like a short 
It is, yeah. And I think that's a really useful way of putting it. Like it's it's like a piece of short form content that mm -hmm. you have to watch to only unlock the rest of the video yeah the best editors today or the best creators should kind of look at the intro as like essentially a separate piece of content hmm. like focus on that being that like try and focus it on it being a short how could i tell you to watch this video in 30 seconds make that like complete your video then probably make the trailer and then just simply just put that at the front Find, make sure they kind of like transition between each other reasonably well and then there's your video but just treat it as a separate part of that process what yeah. do you guys think are the most important pieces of information to include in a trailer as an editor like say you got a bunch of footage and they maybe didn't write an intro you know as they were shooting so how do you go about formulating that as an editor do you guys think well my first step would be to shout at the creator and say, why did you not get the footage? <laughs> <laughs> because come on, like, like it, but I know, like, I, I, I'm acting though. like it's facetious, but that, that happens all the time. Like mm -hmm. so many times, like, oh yeah, we forgot, we forgot the intro. Like, oh yeah, that's like so important, but we just forgot to like script it and shoot it. Um, <laughs> I think I think it really is looking for those, like almost like seeing a storyline, like something unfolding and reaching a high point, mm -hmm. and then just the classic cutting there, you know, yeah. like that, the story that is unfolding before your eyes, like looking for those moments in the video. And every video has a few moments like that. But I would say just generally speaking, I'm not the biggest fan from studying retention for years mm -hmm. of the kind of coming up style. I'm never the biggest fan. I usually like actually just starting straight away in mm. action and actually having the video unfold from there. I have this this thing I, I, I talk a lot with, with the clients I work with, which is like, you know, there's metrics that YouTube give you, which is like yeah. AVD and CTR and all these things, right? We actually have these custom metrics, which mm -hmm. are like time to action. Mm -hmm. So how many seconds did it get to the first piece of action? Now, I think people see action as just like someone jumping over a bridge or someone being chased down a tunnel or something. Mm -hmm. I just see action as like why people clicked on the video. Like if it's a video essay, maybe it's just getting into the, the most interesting part of the story. Mm -hmm. Like what, how long does it take? So time to action, actually tracking that and like looking for our videos and seeing, well, in the videos where we got into that action, where whatever it might be, you could even replace action with value if you're like an mm -hmm. educational channel. Yeah. And then also tracking time to satisfaction. So mm -hmm. action might be the start of the story. Satisfaction might be the peak or the, you know, the value put across to the viewer. And I like tracking both those metrics and just, mm -hmm. you know, not, not like getting, not worshiping them by any means, mm -hmm. but like looking at that as a general guide of like, well, the videos where we got into action faster mm -hmm. and the videos where we had that like dopamine hit, which people use a lot. How early was that in the video and how did that impact like satisfaction for the video because there's this there's this thing there's this like thing that everyone knows about but no one's really thinking about which is satisfaction on youtube mm. youtube don't give us a satisfaction score so yeah, we the, don't know like we still can't uh, as that's a big thing i talk about we still can't really quantify that like like yeah. there's a limit to how we can quantify that idea of how satisfied we were in watching this video yeah like i i've tried to formulate equations with like a combination of retention mm -hmm you know, likes, common sentiment, things like that. It's just very difficult to predict. Like we can mm -hmm. have like a satisfaction score, but how accurate is it? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's like a missing piece of this whole puzzle. And, you know, creators can focus so much on the click and the AVD and just forget about that satisfaction thing. But I'm just a firm believer that if you just front load the video with something right away that validates why I'm watching this video. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's, if it's like, it's even like this thing, like imagine you're a, a listicle creator and you mm -hmm. have five steps to do something, right? Mm -hmm. So many people put the most boring step first because they just want to get it out of the way. <laughs> I'm like, well, first of all, none of the steps should be boring. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, unless it's like really needed for a technical thing or something. Mm -hmm. But I always think like, how can we put the sort of fresh, unique, interesting thing early in the video? And that's just going to almost just like confirm to me I made the right choice. Well, delivered I'll on the promise. What would you consider to be uh, a good intro that means that I can trust this video? 
I, I would say that the first thing is, is literally your first line. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that first line tell me? Mm-hmm. And so often, even going even more granular, I think about the first word, because I've, I've got into this thing. I, I love starting scripts with the word either this or so, mm-hmm. because it prompts you to say something. It, it doesn't like give you this space where you go like, hello and welcome to my channel. And today we're going to talk. It's like, this is, and you instantly have to say something after that. So mm-hmm. I think I always look for like the first word being something that's just like pushing me into a, a sentence. Mm-hmm. I want that first sentence to just start as if like, yeah, like you're just there in front of me. And I'm just trying to grab your attention as you're walking by. Thinking of the first line like a title, like mm-hmm. thinking of the first line like a title, I think is really important. And then I think, what I like is this idea, I'm not sure if we've talked about this previously, but I really like this idea of statement plus intrigue and being really pragmatic with it, where you mm-hmm. just state whether this is visually stating something or just actually telling me something, mm-hmm. what the video is going to be about, you know? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to repeat the title. I think it should be sort of building on the title. So you state the video and then you have some form of intriguing language. Mm-hmm. Something like, you know, the classic example is like, you know, today we're going to talk about um, the five best water bottles in the world. Mm-hmm. And pay attention because some of my choices are gonna shock you. <laughs> I hate, oh, as soon as someone does that, that makes me lose trust. Fuck you, I'm out. Uh, like that is like, oh, you're trying to hide, you're trying to trick me into watching this. But like, so I disagree with that. Like, okay, I hate, okay. I, the fifth thing will shock you. It's like, I'll oh, piss off. I'm all. I'm I exaggerated. Yeah. I exaggerated for classic effect. You know, water bottle watchers, they like it. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> the water bottle niche loves those yeah, cheap yeah, tricks. Yeah, yeah. There was one intro that i experimented with recently and it was something that i got from a book called story worthy i've read that it's great yeah and i mean do you remember the pages when you talked about uh the elephant yeah so i think <laughs> i'll quickly break this down because i think this is such a fascinating concept like every story must have an elephant the elephant is a thing that everyone in the room can see it is large and obvious it is a clear statement of the need the want the problem the peril or the mystery it signifies where the story is headed and it makes it clear to your audience that this is in fact a story and not just simple musing on the subject. And then he then goes into talking about like what, how can you then create some of that emotion, creating some of that intrigue. And then this was the example that he gave. Version one, my mother was a kind of woman whom everyone adored, the model of decorum and civility. She served as PTO president and treasurer of the ladies auxiliary. She was the only female umpire in our town's little league and she baked and knit and grew vegetables by the pound. I mean, yeah, that's kind of nice. He then gave version two. I don't care how perfect my mother was. When I was nine years old, I wanted to disown her, leave her home and never return, forget that she ever existed. My mother was the kind of woman whom everyone adored, the, mo- the model of decorum and civility. She served the PTO president and the treasurer of the ladies auxiliary. She's the only female umpire in our town's little league. And she baked and knit and grew vegetables by the pound. And just that first sentence yeah. just set up that tone, set up that feeling, set up the something's wrong here. Why is uh, like this person absolutely hates his mother already? That's breaking so many societal rules. How dare you hate your mother? And then describes how perfect she is. This makes me go, okay, there is a massive implication of a really interesting story here. Mm. Well, just as you, was re- you were reading those, it's really interesting. I completely phased out during the first one. Yeah. You know, I actually did. Like, Great. I'm, t- I'm tired. <laughs> so anyway. I'm like, it proved I'm the like point, yeah. phasing out. The, that framing in the first line, hmm. it just changes everything. It, yeah. Then it makes the same information mm. feel sinister and more intriguing. I'm like, yeah. it, it, it's like just presenting that story that you need to answer in the video. Like it's giving, mm. it's almost like giving the viewer a little bit of a goal of mm. like, I need to figure out what this is. I need mm-hmm. to be the detective. I need to investigate and figure out how this, this is going to unfold. And mm-hmm. I think so many 
so many small creators and even big creators, they don't, they make videos without mission. Like yeah. they're not really giving the viewer anything that they're going to find out or unfold or, you know, I've always liked the idea of like taking a concept and making it like something you have to watch to investigate how this thing unfolds mm-hmm. and then taking that even deeper and just thinking about that first sentence, like immediately talking about that there mm-hmm. is like really smart. Um, mm-hmm. I even think so, to an extent with my videos, I don't think I follow exactly that, but I read that book a long time ago and something in the first sentence that's like challenging the thought that the person already has about the creator that I'm covering. Mm-hmm. So just saying something like, you know, you probably think Mr. Beast only spends money. Well, actually there's something much more sinister behind the scenes. Or, yeah, yeah, that, that makes you yeah. go, whoa, that's, that's a bit of an elephant. Then I just kind of brush by it and you can, mm. it's almost, yeah, it's like putting a thing in front of the boring context mm-hmm. that's still needed. But yeah. it's putting something in front of it that's going to make me want to wait through that to, to see mm. how this story unfolds. I really oh, yeah. like that. This is, this, is a, this is the classic, the elephant in the room thing. Yeah. If you can just tell us, uh, there's an elephant in the room. And by the way, let me tell you about this thing over here. And I'm like, well, no, I want to know why there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is, just yeah. that, this is just that classic example of that. Yeah. And I think genuinely, I'm either about to throw myself under the bus or see if this has been proven. But that's exactly something that I tried in my latest video. We all want to continue our success when we go viral. But most of us rarely succeed in following that up. Let's say you've been trying to go viral for years and then one day, finally, it worked. You make a series that gets millions of views and a brand new massive audience that will surely click on every new upload. But they didn't. How did that feel to you? That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought it was engaging. Like yeah. it, it's immediately like and it didn't start with something I didn't know about. Like it's like mm. I didn't I don't have too much context on this channel, but now I have the framing. Yeah, and then there we go. And I think so that was the thing. That was the theory. It's like, okay, so this is a case study of like this this may work. So let's find out, did this work? And then engagement, and then let's find out. That's fine. so after one minute and 44 seconds i'm still at 65 percent let's check that the entire intro was about one minute was at 67 percent at 67.6 percent so for me in my perspective i think that feels pretty good is that pretty good yeah yes (laughs) (laughs) i mean not to to be the boring guy but we have to take the context and the Mm. relativity of the channel and performance and all the things that go into a metric but what I will say is I'm much more interested in actual chart behavior than mm-hmm. I am in just percentages. Mm-hmm. And what I can see is you did lose quite a few people in the opening 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. But the people that stayed, that's a really good hold for so early in the video. Like mm-hmm. you see that flat line from about, it looks like it's about maybe like 30 seconds to like two minutes. Yeah. Like you held retention really well. I'm just really curious what you did at that red line because you obviously made some form of mistake there. Uh, this thing, oh, this red line? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think... I didn't deliver, I didn't deliver well enough. Hold on, give, give some context. It's like when the text came up, it's like when you said, wait, what beat? Mm-hmm. And then text came up and then they had to read it. I don't know, I don't and know this, what it This was, is the problem with retention curves and how too many people like take them too literally and not think about all the context that goes into yes, a curve. Because that is so true. You know, like some people would see that and say like, okay, Hayden, I'm a YouTube genius here. So don't put text in your videos anymore. Yeah. Look, drop, drop. Nah, yeah. Whereas yeah. like, it's so like, you know, the people that stayed, maybe they really like that, you know? Um, I know we talked about that last year, like the yeah. idea that people just hyper fixate on the 1% or 2% that fell and not the 98% yeah. that stayed. It's the light mm-hmm. switch. I, the light, I, the light switch thing again. Yeah. 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 I think one thing you could say though, is you've delivered like, I feel like what you've just done there, whenever you bring like a terminology or like a term or like mm-hmm. an acronym, like mm-hmm. that's like delivering to me satisfaction and value because mm-hmm. that's what your audience care about. Mm-hmm. I guess you've delivered that and then you're kind of, do, you're, you're dwelling in that point a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that, it, it needs to be dwelled in, like you need more context, but then you like ask their opinion. They're like, yeah, I could have done that. And mm-hmm. I guess the viewers that are holding so well, this is a really important thing about retention is when you actually do hold so well, like you do in that point, 
there's almost like a built up fatigue. It's mm-hmm. like sleep fatigue. It's like yeah. you've built up this fatigue in the audience. We're like, okay, we a lot of us have stayed that don't usually stay. We're we're mm-hmm. usually the guys that are gonna click off right now, but we've stayed for a while. So when you kind of give them that one opportunity, like here's the value, they're like, okay, I got some value, now I'm gonna go do something else. Now I'm gonna go watch yeah. something else. Did you set the viewer like a kind of guideline? Like, for example, if that if the viewer knew that that was a piece of value you're going to deliver mm-hmm. but then there was something else coming soon you know mm-hmm. I, I know it sounds like it's assumed it's like well mm-hmm. the video is like 10 15 minutes right so like mm-hmm. of course people are going to keep watching but i find that like even it's so simple but just even setting the viewer up with like there's three steps to this yeah. you know even with that point there maybe you could have brought it in and said so this is the first of a few things that like right away this mm-hmm. thing is causing you issues issues mm-hmm. the weight what is weight what beats yeah wait what beats so like mm-hmm. straight away that's an issue and then you're almost like even in your tone you're not being like super overt and like you know, a lot of YouTubers are like, you know, keep watching because we're going to tell you something else. I just hate that yeah, stuff yeah, so Yeah, but you much. can do it subtly. You can yeah. do it in a way where in your mind, you're aware that you are talking to someone. Mm-hmm. It's like having a conversation with someone that's kind of like, you know, you, you so you're like, you're trying to like draw that person in. So mm-hmm. you can kind of be like that in your mind without being super like open mm-hmm. and avert and just like, yeah, keep watching because bro, we're doing something crazy at the end. What would you then describe the difference of like the intention of here is good reasons for people to stay. And then also what what bad executions have you seen of that? Damn, that's a hard question. Yeah, I, you, as I was saying, it, I was like, fuck, this is gonna be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I would say breaking the immersion is the biggest thing because like there's, not, there's nothing worse than being actually glued into a storyline and then just suddenly having this kind of like sudden call to action or mm. sudden like, oh, remember what you're watching. I think it really comes down to timing when you try to naturally subtly introduce mm. those type of things because there's parts in the video where you don't need them. A mm. really good part where you do need them is when you've just delivered a point that you've mm. been building up to, especially thinking that that retention curve we showed where you mm. have that like really good continuous hold, mm-hmm. then you deliver the points and value. That like 10, 20 seconds after that, that's like retention danger zone. Mm-hmm. That's like your little red zone that you could try to subtly introduce. Like maybe mm. it's a visual cue, maybe it is just some scripting stuff. You could have just said, oh, the first thing I want to talk about is this, which instantly then plans to see them, but there's something else. I think the biggest issues I see is when a creator just puts that in like the middle of a continuous hold. Mm-hmm. Like they'll like some creators will just interrupt a really good storyline in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Story like when I have like when I know in my head that the viewer has something that they're waiting for, mm-hmm. I can take I can be slower in the edit. Mm-hmm. I can slow it down. I'm like this viewer needs this thing. And then in the transitions, that's where I always want to be fast. I think yeah. I think that's the biggest issue is mistiming when you try those tactics. That's interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I was thinking about what we've learned from traditional editors in this scenario and what they say especially in narrative is you have to enter a scene as late as possible and exit a scene as early as possible so any kind like it's that's those transition moments is like Mm -hmm. the enter and exit of a scene um and that's where the fluff exists and so if there's like there's so much of scenes that just get absolutely cut out yeah how can every single cut motivate the the progression of the storyline what do you guys think about like even just from learning editing film tv studying storytelling what do you think about like sort of trying to convert traditional storytelling structures to youtube because Mm. i think a lot of youtubers get it wrong where either Mm. they don't look at it at all Mm -hmm. or they just try to adapt it literally Mm -hmm. and like even like in a three-act narrative in a film there's always that like really like you know the resolution like all the avengers meeting up and being like well that was a great day at the office kind of thing you know <laughs> like that kind of like everyone the the guy getting the girl all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff unfolding or for a youtube video I, I just really don't believe that converts well mm. with retention and with trying to make sure the viewer sees an end screen to go watch another video i think the best way i like to describe it is uh i think about avengers endgame and we all kind of tuned in for the big fight uh and everyone comes if you've seen avengers endgame 
No. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, hey, I you haven't be... seen The Godfather. Oh, that's true. Oh. Fine, oh, fine. Oh. You watch Avengers Endgame. You're going to have to watch all of the Marvel movies. Fuck, yeah. You, I know, don't you, know what, you know what I'll do? Like, I'll, wa I'll watch Avengers Endgame on my phone while Godfather's in the background. Uh, all right. Oh, you know what? That's a, fair, that's a terrible trade. Oh, but that, I mean, that might be the best compromise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in terms of, let's just say, in Avengers... I'm going to spoil it then for you. I'm really sorry. I, I don't care. You don't care. No. Okay. So, the big climatic fight scene that they've been building up for, like... 10, 20 years at that point finally happened and it was an incredible experience but then the bad guy was defeated but then this movie goes on for another 25 minutes because some characters had also died and they do the funeral scenes and then they do like the grieving process like we beat him but at what cost sort of like sort of experiences whereas if that type of experience was to be on YouTube to the extent like you've beaten the bad guy the implication of okay this is kind of ending and then we, I think we all do this. As soon as, we, as soon as we get that feeling that the video is ending, we move on. We immediately start thinking, thinking what other video can I click onto? Or I click, click back to the YouTube homepage. As soon as I know that the video, the feeling tells me it's going to end. Do you think that like, let's take the Avengers Endgame example, mm. which now I have more context on. Let's say, so the bad guy at the end, right? Mm. After that happens, if in the movie cinema, there was like one button and you could switch to another movie, do you think people would do it? Or are they that emotionally invested into the characters? Well, that I think every time I do watch that, and when the when the bad guys have heated and the main characters have died, it's like I am still emotionally engrossed. Yeah, and like and I and I'm grieving. I I I think it's like I've still watched it ten times and I still grieve one of the main characters yeah. dying, and so I'm still in. But that's also spent twenty years building up to that point, yeah. and then in that context of that movie, three hours building up to that point. Yeah, and so. Actually, so it's like so they've had the time investment for to earn that emotion, mm. whereas like in our context, it's a bit more difficult to earn that emotion in ten minutes. Yeah, I think it's that combo of like mm. the platform, and I know we talked at the start about how TV is kind of maybe shifting that viewing behavior in a positive direction for things like that. But like the platform and then the length of time to build, and also the yeah. fact that YouTube just doesn't really have. I've I've had arguments with this of people that I really like at YouTube that I just still feel like YouTube is not great for episodic content i want I just, it to be that i but i've had arguments and people at youtube say like oh it's, it is and you're just like you're just neglecting it but i still don't have enough confidence to really try it maybe i should and see how it goes and i think mm. there's some people who've done a good job like ryan train but mm. even with ryan like he's able to package the videos so that every video feels like its own thing mm. and i still think like that episode one episode two episode three structure is difficult on youtube but actually i think there's one thing that tv is doing that i think we've all been scared to try that i think could be very effective and i'm kind of trying to set you up because i want you to figure this out what does most of these tv episodics things do at the end of each episode that convinces you to watch the next sets up the next storyline for the next video for the next episode a cliffhanger yeah cliffhanger the game that i like to kind of play then is this let's just say mr beast made a massive massive series of like a sets of series of challenges and instead of putting all of them into like one big 20 minute video what if each of those games was its own video let's just say we get if we satisfy the click we go through each of these people this person fails this person fails this person succeeds this person was kind of fun that was a great character moment but then maybe there's been, we've been setting up the idea of this is the riskiest person is whether they're going to make it through or not. Mm. And we're setting up those seeds as this person's either going to succeed or this person's going to get kicked out because they failed that challenge. And then right at the end, let's just say it's like they've got to do the big jump. And like, come on, come on, Jason, you can do it. Dad, the music builds up. We're getting closing up. We're cutting to like Jimmy going, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He jumps. Cut. Video ends. Mm. And then everyone goes, oh, my fucking God. 
And then we wait 24 hours. And or then the next. Or, or even however, a week. Or you know, however yeah. long you want to make we it. Or we release this weekly. And then the next video then begins. And then we immediately find out the resolution. Did this person make this jump or not? They did. They didn't. We didn't get the emotional catharsis that we just had from the previous video. And now we're going to start setting up the next challenge. Welcome to challenge two. We're going to be doing this. And off we go. We get straight back into the next part of it. Mm. For me, that sounds incredibly exciting. One, for waiting for, let's just say, a week for that release. Oh, my God, did he make it? But then let's just say afterwards, did he make it? Oh, my God, you immediately click on the next video. It's just interesting because I just finished watching Ahsoka. I got so excited. And I honestly enjoy watching Ahsoka, the Star Wars show, as a weekly release more than binging it. Yeah. Because there's something satisfying about you know, withholding yourself. Like food tastes better after you fast. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, sometimes it's, it's a much more satisfying viewer experience to withhold that satisfaction from you mm -hmm. and literally spend seven days waiting for it. Yeah. So I agree with everything. I love everything you said. I don't think it works. Why? Oh, it's, <laughs> so I just have this thing. It's like, you know, in, in business, they always, there's always the saying where in product development or anything, like don't try to change a behavior, try to work mm -hmm. with the behavior. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love for people to disagree with me on this, but I feel like the YouTube viewing behavior and even just the way that content is displayed through recommendation feeds and mm -hmm. you know through suggested videos, I find the issue with what you said about the Mr. Beast idea as well, then his next upload, that is gonna have potentially less appeal to new viewers. Mm -hmm. So he's gonna look at that and he's gonna say, well, if I separate them out, sure, my total view count might increase because I'm pushing more people across you know, more videos, but that video then becomes a it's not a great entry point mm -hmm. unless you can find a way to tie it all together maybe like what ryan did with this penny series where he had mm -hmm. that really quick catch-up line mm -hmm. where you just got into oh, i'm going across america like really mm -hmm. subtle really quick i feel like for the mr beast video though it's like well i didn't if i just click on this video for the first time i'm just discovering him for the first time i think that mr beast model is all about flagship mm -hmm. it's like every release is a flagship product and every release could be the first time that someone finds mr beast and every release is the first time. Like there's mm -hmm. millions of people that find Mr. Beast for the first time mm -hmm. with every upload he makes. Mm -hmm. So I think I even had that debate with someone uh, back when Jimmy was doing the Squid Game video. And someone said to me, um, he should just like divide it into like three episodes, make it a three-part structure. That would be insane. And mm -hmm. I, looking back, I think it would be really cool and it could have been amazing. But I still think if you're optimizing, if you're trying to reach the biggest amount of people, mm. which that's a separate question if that's the goal, if it's more of a goal to create depth and relationship with that core base over time, that's a separate question. But when you're trying to make the biggest splash and impact, mm -hmm. putting it all together, doing it in one, mm -hmm. and the thing, I, the, thing, the thing that sometimes puts me off episodic content is like your first episode sets the ceiling for the rest of the series. Yeah. Like how often, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, that's where it peaks. Mm -hmm. So if you're, I always say like, <laughs> sometimes I talk to people that, you know, they say, I'm working on this series. The first one bombed. And I'm like, yeah. okay, you're in trouble. Like, <laughs> yeah, because the rest of the series is going to yeah. bomb anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like in traditional media, you know, like the, I mean, the, what's the most successful US sitcom ever? The Office probably, or one of the mm -hmm. most successful ever, right? Mm -hmm. I remember when that first came out, I don't actually remember, but I remember reading about it that it kind of bombed and people mm. weren't that sure about it because they used a lot of the British humor and the Americans were like, this isn't the, wholesome The first enough. season was pretty bad. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it had to find its footing. Yeah. yeah. And then like, you know, it builds and people go back and watch it. And I just feel like, mm. I don't think it's a YouTube algorithm issue. I think it's almost like a viewing behavior issue where people on YouTube don't like, they don't watch a video and say, I'm going to go back to the start of the series. And mm -hmm. it's like every video you make is viewed as an entry point to potential new viewers. Yeah. Um, and maybe that can change and maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my take on it. Oh.